have your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Now, the reason I'm speaking to this afresh is, well, because God won't release me from not speaking to it, quite frankly. You know, we've taught on the basics of faith for many years, and I think years ago, when we first began to communicate the message of faith, a lot of people, to say the least, they heard what they wanted to hear. Do you know what I mean by that? And, you know, a lot of people criticized what we termed as the faith message. They said it was an American thing or what have you, but I hope you do realize that um, Jesus Christ was a faith teacher. You do know that, don't you? I said you do know that, don't you? Jesus Christ was a faith teacher. He taught faith. So no matter how many people may have butchered the message or taken it to an extreme, it does not discount or delete the fact that Jesus Christ said we must understand faith. Now, one of the reasons God's been on me so much about this is because I'm just so aware as we travel wherever the Lord allows us to travel, and in particular because of Julie and I being in and out of, in and out of Parliament so much, I mean, you know, this nation is in an extreme need of a baptism of faith. I mean, real faith. I don't mean the principle of faith. I don't mean the formula of belief. I mean faith. I mean faith. <laughs> I just mean where they, where they believe God. And, you know, when we first started teaching faith, let me just be real candid. Do you remember even Jesus himself when Jesus fed the multitudes? Jesus said to the people that followed him there, he said, I know why you follow me. He said, you follow me because you're fed. In other words, you follow me because you get your needs met. But the thing about the lamb, the thing about our master, Jesus, that's so wonderful, is Jesus Christ, he knew the hearts of men anyhow, didn't he? But he always took advantage of any opportunity, even if it was our selfish coming to him to get our needs met, he always took advantage of those times to instill deep spiritual truth and to speak to us. But again, in other words, he used meeting their needs just as an end to a means so that he could have a platform to speak real manna from heaven into their spirit. They came for flesh and blood food. They needed food. In many cases, they got their needs met. Their bodies were healed. All kinds of things happen in their lives, and God makes provision for all of that. But there was something more important to the Christ, something more important to this man, Jesus, and that was to get people's souls free and to get them born from above, to get them into a personal relationship with Jehovah God that they might be saved. He came to save, didn't he? He didn't come to destroy. He came to save and to heal. So, you know, when you study like the Old Testament, you'll find that there were a lot of wilderness blessings, but they were never into the promised land. And I'm only saying that to say that a lot of things that God has promised us are peripheral blessings that are there for us, but to a vast degree for some of us, they have become the goal in and of themselves. Now, I'm trying to be careful because God will manifest himself to heal you. God will bless you financially. God will do all of those things. But really, God's after something much more than that. And if you take an honest look at church, like I said, even as I referred to things last night, over 90% of our church is dealing, still our church life on a Sunday morning or whatever, is dealing with getting you free. And be honest, getting you free, because we need to be free, don't we? And so I'm, not a, I'm, I'm all for that. I want you to be free. <laughs> Jesus wants you to be free. So don't mishear me, but what I'm trying to say is we have become so insular that we're putting 99% of all of our, this spiritual energy on having and creating these Sunday morning hospitals where people come to get stroked, to get blessed, to get patted on the back. But the fact of the matter is everything about everything that God came to do in Jesus, the end result is that he wants to see the lost saved. Now see, you're already saved. So you've already made it. You may need healing. You may need some more finances. You may need more peace. But you know what? You are saved. So, I mean, the, it is true, though it's a simple statement, the greatest of all blessings has already occurred for us, hasn't it? Hallelujah. But if you can see what I'm trying to communicate, we are so busy still trying to get ourselves in order or get ourselves blessed that what happens is all of the attention is in here instead of out there. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Now, I didn't say that God doesn't want to take care of us in here, but I'm just saying if you really want to see God move in your own life, you have to get this 
turned around where you begin to live for the rest of this world. You begin to give your life as a living sacrifice for the good of the many. The way your needs always get met is when you begin to live your life to meet the needs of others. It's just that simple. Whether it be healing, if you need healing, I always tell people, just find somebody sicker than you and start giving yourself to prayer towards them and watch what God does in your own body. If you need finances, find somebody that needs them more than you. In other words, you've got to get your mind off of you for you to be helped. That's the mystery of this thing called faith. So there's a lot of things I want to talk to. But the reason I call this whole teaching, this whole series that I'll begin today, Faith Towards God, is because in Hebrews chapter 5, the last few verses, in fact, let me just go ahead and we'll start there after. I said 2 Corinthians, but we'll come back to there. Let's, let's go to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And I, again, everything I read is from the Amplified Bible. And uh, I'm just going to try to, like I said, lay some foundation here. But there's so many things here, but I think I'll just start reading in verse, um, verse 9. Verse 8. I'll learn in verse 8. Hebrews 5, verse 8. And maybe this will even also help us respond to something that I shared last night in that orientation meeting. Because remember how I spoke about the fact that Jesus Christ had stripped himself of all Godhead powers and he operated in this earth as a man. Listen, he operated in this earth as a man anointed of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 5, 8 says, although he was a son, he learned active special obedience. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And his completed experience, making him perfectly equipped, he became the author and the source of eternal salvation to all those who give heed and obey him. Verse 10, being designated and recognized and saluted by God as high priest after the order with the rank of Melchizedek. Now verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. And then it says this in the Amplified, which is hard to explain since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful, in achieving spiritual insight. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's Word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will and purpose, thought, and action. For he is a mere inf infant, not able to talk yet. Verse 14, but solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law. Now, if you jump right up to the next verse, therefore let us go on and get past. Now, listen to this. It's an incredible verse. Let us go on and get past the elementary stage. Let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and the doctrine of Christ the Messiah, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. And then he lists these six foundation stones of our faith. Now, I don't have a King James up here to read them out, but he said, let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, with teachings about the purifying, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment and punishment, and then he says, these are all matters of which you should have been fully aware long, long ago. Now, I've got to stop there and say that a lot of pastors, again, that I work with, you know, these are the six basic foundation stones of our faith that the Word of God calls elementary. Do you hear me? These are in apostolic order. Most pastors don't, if you ask them what, and I hope you don't, this is not, I'm not attacking pastors, Okay. I'm just saying I get concerned because a lot, when's the last time you've ever had in your church somebody even teach a series on the basic foundation stones of your faith? I mean, if this is the elementary stages of what faith comes from, what this journey is all about, don't you think we should know about them? Yeah. But anyhow, they're, in, they're even in an apostolic order, but the fact of the matter is, he said these, let's, if we can, let's get past the elementary teachings. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the second one he lists is faith towards God. 
I want you to know that faith towards God is an elementary teaching, and yet we haven't passed the class yet. You hear me? You know, the thing about tests, I learned when I was in college, the little college, the little college that I had before I got crazy. <laughs> I learned something about school. If you pass the test, you don't have to take it again. And some of us in the body of Christ have been going through the same tests year after year after year. Now, I'm not being mean. Remember, like Paul said, do not let me become your enemy because I speak the truth to you. I want you to be free, but also you need to understand God wants us all to grow up. And some of us are still on nursery-type food, and we're still drinking the milk of the Word where it says that we should have graduated into some other understandings, got past this, got into the revelation of what God really wants for us. And I'm saying this is why there's a wake-up call all around this earth right now. I want to tell you, why we have to teach faith towards God afresh is because, uh, well, it's because you're going to need a lot of faith because of what's about to come. You see, let me backtrack a little bit to what I started to say as I began. When we first started teaching the premises of faith, we would make these statements about, well, you know, you know, you come to, really, you come to God, you'll get your needs met. We can teach you, quote, unquote, how to take faith in God, as it were. Now, I'm saying what we used to share, okay? And through faith in God, God will heal your body. That's true, isn't it? Yes. He will bless your family. He can bless your marriage. He can bring finances to you, all of those things. But if you see what I'm trying to say is, with an overall big picture, what happened is we communicated faith in such a way that it was something that caused us to still center in on us. We're going to come here because of what we're going to get here. Now, to serve God, to serve God for, spiritual, for reward only is what we call spiritual prostitution. I'll come here and give you this if you'll give me that. Did you hear me? That's not being drawn by the cords of love. That's being drawn by the promise of a need met. Hear me? Now, there's all the difference in the world between coming to God because of what He'll do for you and coming to God because of a constraint of love that just causes you to not, you can't stand to do anything else but be with Him. If He never blesses you, if you're never healed, if you never have a penny, it makes no difference because of the great grace that's come to you in Christ. And it's something like just like a button turns. I don't know how to explain. A switch is just goes click. And when that does happen and your focus gets off of all of that that you need, all of a sudden all that which you need begins to come. And you go, duh. <laughs> Little simple things like Deuteronomy. Remember it says that if this, it says that if you shall hearken, Deuteronomy 28 says, if you will hearken diligently under all of these commandments, which I command you this day, then all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, right? And then it goes on to list all these wonderful truths there in the first 14 verses. But the basic truth of that that we see is he said, if you'll hearken diligently unto all of these commandments, then all these blessings will come upon and overtake. And you see, if you'll really see what the scripture says there, it says that your focus is to be, your posture is to be facing obedience to the commandments. Now, why we have to go over that as we begin this course, I'm, some of this may be very, 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 like I said, basic to you, but I've got to start at the beginning, okay? But the reason we have to hear that afresh is because so many of us, again, we, we if you look at your Bibles, if I was to come out and look at all of your Bibles right now, I'd find almost all of the promises of God underlined and highlighted in yellow. You know what I mean? But very few of the commandments are highlighted. You hear what I'm trying to say? All of, the, all, of the, all of the blessings and the promises, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. All of these promises are mine. And that's okay, but you hear, did you hear what God said? He said, if you hearken diligently unto all these commandments, then all these blessings shall come upon and overtake. Now, where are blessings supposed to come from according to Deuteronomy 28, that verse I just quoted? Where do they come from? They come, he said, they will come upon and overtake. It speaks of something that's coming from behind. It's going to overtake you. 
Now, so if you can see the basic issue is that what we've been doing is facing the blessings and pursuit, we've been in pursuit of the blessings instead of in pursuit of the commandment. And what we don't understand, it's like that oldest of illustrations about a little magnet when you were in school, if you take that little magnet that has a negative and a positive, you know, polarity on the either end. And do you remember the old little illustration? They'd have iron filings and you'd take that negative end of that magnet and you could get right up close to those filings and just, you'd grab a little few, but they'd just push the rest of them away. The mass would be pushed away because you had that negative polarity of that magnet. But if you flipped it around, you'd get up there and you'd go, Whoop, and it'd just like suck up to it. You know what I mean? Do you remember that? Do you remember doing that in school? You see, what we have to comprehend is you can get right up as long as you live focused towards getting God's blessing. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's just that it's not following instructions. The book is a book of instructions that when you begin to pursue blessing, that you can get right up to blessing and a few of it will stick at you, but the mass of it will never come upon you because you're living in reverse. But once you begin to actually turn away from the blessing unto the father of the light of the blessing. You see, that's when you put yourself in a physiological position even for God to begin to bless. And it will come from behind. It will come. Don't tell me it doesn't because it's too late. It's done happening in my life too much. All right. <laughs> Bad English, but it's the truth nevertheless. But so God wants us to understand this. It's just that simple. And none of God's commandments are grievous, so it's okay. So anyhow, God began to teach his faith, and we heard that if you follow me, you'll get your needs met. And the way the Lord illustrated it to me so many years ago is just quite frankly, he said, I used that primary teaching of faith as a carrot in front of a donkey. And it began to, you know, and so we follow this thing around like this because I needed healing, I needed my needs met. We follow this thing around because we were all donkeys. And, you know, because God so loved us, it's just a matter of this. God needs to get your attention somehow. You hear me? And because a lot of times we're so busy with life, we won't listen any other way. Well, when you finally get to a point of need that's, that's dis disastrous enough or strong enough, you know, all of a sudden you tend to look where you hadn't looked before. And so you look towards God or you look towards things. So anyhow, so here we come with this faith where we began to be taught it and we realize, okay, if I serve God, you know, I'll get my needs met. But like I say, I believe with all my heart that God used that as a carrot in the beginning. But like I said, that was then, now is now, it's time for us to grow up. And even in the midst of the teachings, remember how when we teach people, and it's true, principles of faith, that, that you believe God in areas, when you understand what God has spoken to you, then God's word is to have the highest degree of weight in your life. And so we would share things like this, you know, you don't be moved by what you see. And that's okay. But really, if you'll begin to hear what we're going to communicate today and tomorrow, at least what seed I want to plant into you is that I have this sneaking suspicion that the real reason God has taught us faith like he has and is about to re-inject the whole body of Christ worldwide with the revelation of what really it means to walk by faith is not so much as not so much that he doesn't want us to be moved by what we see, but you're going to have to be strong in faith so that you won't be moved by what you're about to see because of that which is coming upon the earth. Trust me, there are a lot of things coming upon the earth right now. And God needs us to really be brought into a position where our faith is stable, where we're not moved by what we see in the government or what we hear in the paper or by the economic system of this earth because we have so aligned ourselves with the kingdom that we are aware that we really are abiding under the shadow of the Most High. And though a thousand may fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, it's not going to come nigh us. Like I said last night, this principle of Goshen, God always, always made a place, a point of redemption whereby his people were safe. In the New Testament, it's just a simple verse you all know. There is no temptation, test, or trial that has taken you, but such is common to all men. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried above your ability to handle it, but will always, with that temptation, test, or trial, offer a way or a means of escape. Hallelujah. So whatever comes, God never allows anything to come 
that is too big for you to handle. That's a hard lesson. I had to learn it over and over again. If it comes, God knows I can deal with it. God will not allow something to happen that you don't have the wherewithal to deal. I used to have people, one of some of my students, when I was director of the Bible school, they'd say, well, I don't know what I'd do if I really met a demon-possessed person. And I was trying to say, well, I said, you know, if you see what that scripture says there, God, you have to understand, if you do meet a for real demon-possessed, not oppressed or suppressed, but possessed person, God won't allow. See, this is the thing about where his grace kicks in for real. God will not allow you to be confronted with something that you don't have the goods to handle. So I would tell these students of mine, if it happens, it's because you can deal with it. So rejoice in the fact that it's come your way because you're about to experience a testimony. I can see you're all happy. Well, it goes on, Hebrews 6, 3 says, If indeed God permits, we will now proceed to advanced teaching. Hallelujah. Okay? Now, I'm just going to jump down to verse, verse 9 in here. Then I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians 3, like I said. Verse 9 says, Even though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we are now firmly convinced of better things that are near to salvation. And come to verse 10, Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your labor and the love which you have shown for his name's sake in ministering to the needs of the saints, his own consecrated people, as you still do. Verse 11, he said, But we do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through in realizing and enjoying the full assurance and development of your hope until the end. In order, verse 12 says, I love the Amplified, listen to this. I want you to keep showing, he said, I want you to have the same diligence all the way through to the end, in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators behaving as do those who through faith by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness, and by, pay, and by practice of patient endurance and waiting, are now inheriting the promises. Now, that's a huge word, so let me just quote it in the King James. It says, but he said, I want you to be followers of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So, uh, the promises of God are not the issue. The issue is that God's word said here that I want you to show the same diligence in your faith throughout to the end of things. He said, he said, I don't, he said, I want you to show and keep the same diligence up. He said, because if you don't, what will happen is you will become disinterested. Trust me. I've been in a lot of churches. I can look on people's face and see where there's life and where there's <sighs> He said, so that you do not become disinterested in spiritual sluggards. But rather, he said, that you would be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So all of us really, you see, have the opportunity to become disinterested. Because you know what? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And like I said and just began to mention last night, and what happens is then we experience something that we define as failure. We experience it, and we begin to assign that failure to some lack of God's grace or lack of God's love, or this stuff doesn't work. Somebody lied to me. And so we become disenfranchised in our thinking. We begin to faint. And, you know, the whole series begins to happen. And it's because we fail to continue to look into God's Word and understand that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But anyhow, so it's through faith and patience so you, that you inherit the promises. God wants you to have the promises. And the reason it's so important, like I said, this is a, the first teaching on this. The reason it is so important, now I don't want to act like I'm contradicting myself, but the reason it is so important for you and I to inherit the promises is because that's what God has assigned as His way to actually attract the lost. I can show you passage after passage after passage, but one of my favorite scriptures when we teach in the prayer school is just this basic truth out of Deuteronomy 6 where God's word says this. He said, if 
you will obey my word, he said, then all these nations will look upon you and will say, who is a nation so wise as this, who has a God so wise as this, who gives them commandments that cause them to be so well taken care of, and whose God is so near to them when they call upon him. Now think about that. The testimony of God's people was that as we obeyed his commandments, we were going to be a blessed people to such a degree that the rest of the nations would look upon us and say, what other nation is there that has a God like this God who is so near unto them when they call upon him? Well, do you understand why a lot of people therefore have not been attracted to Jesus Christ? Right? Be honest. See, this is why sometimes I get a little bit adamant and people mistake it for like anger at them. And I'm not angry at people, but I get angry. I, get, I do get very upset with, I get, I get angry with deception is what I do. And sometimes there's something that rises in my voice that people think I'm angry at people, but I'm not. I get, it's like because I'm called to minister to the spirit of people, not to the mind. And I get, and I see, I begin to like in the spirit almost sense this old religious law of deception. And there's something in me that is against this. And it rises up in me, and I begin to, like I said, put pressure against that thing because it makes me, I, I, I hate to see people that are continually bound by the same old religious principle and not free by the blood of Christ. But anyhow, God wants us to get past all that because it is far more important for you to be blessed than you realize. See, this is the reason, this is what I'm trying to spit out. See, you want to be blessed because you want to be blessed or you need to be blessed. And it's not that that's wrong, it's just that it's not totally right. There are a lot of people, in particular in this nation, who, like I said last night, suffer from extreme false humility. Well, I don't need to. It's okay. I'm happy to be like this for the rest of my life. I don't mind. It's okay. I don't have to be blessed there. I don't need, I don't mind. And I mean, they have all of this all in the name of humility. But what you don't understand is you may be failing in somebody else's life because you are a testimony to something and it's not so much about you, it's about the people that don't know him yet. See, I want with my whole heart to be as blessed as I can get on this side because I, I'm just being honest. I, you have, see, you, have, you, you don't know me, but you got to trust me. I could care less if I lived in a cave, if I, you know, if I rode a bike or walked. I've never cared, I mean, to my wife's chagrin sometimes. I mean, I would, you know, maybe it's because I was born and raised in the mountains, but I'd, I'd live in a cave. It wouldn't make any difference to me. But I'm not saying, you see, that we're trying to perpetrate some false type of situation about prosperity, for example. Uh, but I'm not against prosperity, neither is God. But my point is this. I had to come to grips with the fact that I was being lied to when I would not fight for what God's grace had provided. Because I was so selfish in my own thinking that I was thinking, well, you know, this is all about me. It's all about me. And God had to, like, recycle my whole faith and say, I need you to grow up and understand something. I have very few people who actually are blessed enough and walk in enough humility that it attracts people to me. And he said, I'm trying to get people to me. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Do you remember when you hear preachers talk, when we all, you know when you talk about uh, how Samuel went up to Jesse's sons to choose one of the sons to be the next anointed one after God lifted his anointing off of Saul? Do you remember how Jesse looks down through all the sons, or rather Samuel looks through all the sons of Jesse, and he looks at one guy that looks like Paul Newman, thinks it's him? You know, I don't know which you, I don't know who you ladies, if it was my wife, she'd say Kevin Costner, or somebody like that, you know? But I mean, you know, I, this guy looks like, surely this will be the next king, because he looks, this is the guy, then you look at another one, and he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, so surely it's going to be this one, and and what have you, but remember what God said, what God said, what God, what God, what God said to Samuel. He said, Samuel, Sammy baby, <laughs> he said, you're missing it because he said, what you don't understand is this. He said, man looks on the outward appearance, but what? But I look on the heart. Now, what 99 out of 100 times do we preach on from that scripture? What does God look on? So what do we preach on the most? God looks on the heart. What else did God say? Man looks on what? 
outward appearance. Who are we, just give me, give me a hint. Who are we trying to attract? Now, I'm not talking about you single women now. But do you hear my point? God's, now God's wiser than you. I don't know if you know that or not. That's, a, that's the first place to start. You know, that's deep revelation for a lot of people right there. God is after the lost. God said man, referring to mankind and how mankind functions, look on the outward appearance. He said, I look on the heart. But man looks on the outward appearance. Now see, we've allowed our Christianity to become so anemic in its appearance. Let me tell you something. The people that we want to meet are not attracted to us. Now don't mishear me. Come on, don't get religious on me. I'm not talking about walking around driving Rolls Royces and doing all that stuff. If God gives you a Rolls Royce, God bless you. I don't, doesn't, I don't care if you got one or you don't have one. But I'm saying, I'm not saying that, so we're not talking about that extremism, okay? But what I'm saying is, does not the Scripture say that God looks on the outward, I mean that man looks on the outward appearance? And that's who we're trying to reach. And I'm just saying, if you can collectively see what he's trying to communicate by this. God said, I want you blessed. I want wholeness to radiate from you. I want you to be a person who has peace where everyone else has confusion. I want you to be a person who, when hell does strike, you're affected by it, but you don't live in it for the rest of your days. You rise up from it. You know, I love like the book of Micah where it says, don't rejoice against me, O my enemy, when I fall, for I shall arise. You know what I mean? The issue is not whether or not we fall. The issue is we arise. You don't stay in the mud for the rest of your life. And we all know people, like I said, who remain victims their entire life because of something that happened to them. It did happen. It was horrible. But they let it color their entire future life. And they become crippled by their past. And it doesn't mean it wasn't painful and hurtful. But at some point, see, in my own life, what I went through, I had to realize that this man was real. And I had to realize that this love of his did heal, and if I could receive it, I could rise up from all of that that I had lived in and what I had gone through, and I could just become something else that God wanted for me, and I could live that way. Now, I didn't plan on living in such a way that somebody might be attracted to something I could say. I mean, you know, even quote me speaking, teaching, I was one of the guys, you know, in school that always took failing grades rather than stand up because I was scared spitless to get up in front of people. You know, like, you know, all those kind of things, but I'm just saying, I want, if you would just honestly look at scriptures, you'll have to understand God wants you to be free, but not just so that you're free. It's because he, everything about God is trying to, everything God, all of God's focus is trying to reach the lost. Everything. So whether it be our spiritual warfare messages, our healing messages, anything and everything that God's made provision for, it's there because it's something that it should, it should be within us. It should be all around us. We should have these things so that God can speak to other people that it's worth serving Him. Now, can you just hear that? See, and I'm telling you, if you begin to hear that, that's why you begin to seek some things from a right spirit. And then, because you're seeking from a right platform of understanding, all of a sudden, there's a fresh anointing. There's a strength behind you that wasn't there before. Because, you see, you got delivered from you. And that's where most of you need to be delivered from, yourself. You get delivered from you, and you get delivered from this whole focus on yourself, and all of a sudden, God begins to use you as a tool in His hand. That's all this is about. That's all this is about. So throughout this book, the writers are saying, you know, be followers. I mean, it says who to follow. I said it says who to follow. It says follow those who through faith and something called patience. <laughs> Inherit the promises. I'll tell you another place in Hebrews where it says in Hebrews 13 where it says what you need to listen to. How many of you have ever, you all, we go to church and we'll see the scripture, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can all quote that, right? How many can quote the verse before it or the verse after it? Anybody in here quote it? I'm not trying to be clever. See, this is what I mean. We're so religious, so true. The verse before that speaks of who you should follow. It says, follow those. It says, whose, it says, whose conversation follow. 
And then it says, it speaks of who you're supposed to follow, those, that are in, those are, who lead you. And then it says, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, it says that the people you need to follow are those who are teaching that Jesus Christ, if he was healing yesterday, is healing today, and will be healing tomorrow. If he was delivering yesterday, he's delivering today, and he'll deliver tomorrow. And he'll be, you hear what I'm trying to say? Don't follow people who tell you the stuff has passed away, please. I said, please. Quit following people who make excuses. I said, quit following people who make excuses. Either this stuff is true or it isn't. And I'm telling you, it's true. But it takes a little old-fashioned Christian backbone and patience. It doesn't happen overnight. Like my old spiritual dad used to say, this, the promises of God don't fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree. There, you know, this is a pursuit. It's a journey. And it's something that we partake of and we don't look for the quick fix. We're in this for the long duration. You know, this is, it says you run this race with patience. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I know that you've heard that before, but it is. So anyhow, so this issue is, I don't want you and God doesn't want you. And he said, he talks about going into advanced teaching. And he said, I want you to be aware of these things. I want you to hold fast your diligence and your persistence to the end so that you do not become disinterested in spiritual sluggards. <laughs> Amplified's funny, you know what I mean? You sluggard. <laughs> but rather followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So it's there. Now turn back to the 2 Corinthians 3, like I said in the beginning. 2 Corinthians 4, rather, sorry. Hallelujah. I don't know, in my life, it just got a lot simpler when I, something just clicked in my spirit and I realized, because, you know, be honest, you, you feel kind of funny when you, oh, God, I need money. And, you know, and, but something happened to me when I realized, God, oh, I, well, I, I'll tell you, let, let me, go ahead and turn it, but I'll give you another illustration. I was, you know, principal of a Bible school for quite a long time. And when I teach on particular areas, I teach on God's will for healing. I teach on God's will for provision and different courses and things that I wrote curriculum on and taught. And, and uh, you know, when it comes to healing, I would go through this thing, and I'd, after I'd go through this long thing of teaching different things, and, and uh, I'd say, now, how many, you know, how many even here will say, you know, I want to be well? Well, you know, and people, everybody go, I want to be well. And I'd lead them through this whole thing. I want to be this. I want to be, I want peace. I want peace. I want this. And they were cool. And then I'd say, I want to be rich. And they go, I want to be rich. <laughs> because instantly the consideration of shame and everything that they've been taught all their whole life, you just don't say that. Do you? Especially in Christian circles, especially in England. One simply doesn't talk about money, does one? That's why one doesn't have much of it. But, I would, but you see the point I'm trying to make? You have, would you have any problem right now with raising your voice before God and saying, God, I want all the health you can give me? Would you have a problem with that? <laughs> you see where I'm going? What is it about the pressure when it comes to blessing that is so strong that your soul and everything in you sometimes reacts violently against, God, I want all the wealth you can give me. No, it's, you're being all nice and sweet right now, but, but seriously, how much of you could raise your voice and say that in your church? Yes. Yes. Oh, you could in yours, I know. No, but do, do, I'm just using that as an illustration. Do you see what I'm trying to say? The pressure of tradition. See, the, the pressure of tradition will bind you because of how you've been trained and taught because you're taught that to consider wealth something that you seek after is an absolute decree of your personal selfishness you greedy lot you <laughs> well I tell you when I like I said if you get a hold of this stuff you begin to discuss why God you see God for let's go back to healing you'll be more comfortable with that <laughs> 
God did not make provision for divine healing for you just so that you could be more comfortable watching Coronation Street. Think about it. Now that's even the reason some people have, listen, that's even some of the reason why some people have a hard time receiving healing. Because even that in their spirit is still because it's about me. And then, see, don't misunderstand. God, Jesus is the great physician. He wants you well just because he wants you well. He's a daddy. He's the father from whom all fatherhood takes his name. He wants you well. But if you can see, if you just trust me a little bit, if you get past that, you see, if you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you can't afford to be sick. And when God sees something like that raise its head in your spirit, and it's actually just not something that you're just being clever with, but it's real. God, I can't afford to be sick. There, you, you've put something in me. I've got to, you know, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I've got I want people to know a little bit. I don't have much, but I want people to have a little of what's happened in my life. Then you see, you go, God, in Jesus' name, I'm so grateful that you made provision. Himself took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. And I resist this stuff in Jesus' name. And you do not have the right to come into my flesh. I've got too much to do. And you see, it's not from a selfish thing. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to finance or peace. God, I refuse. I wake up in the morning and I say, I have been given the spirit of a sound mind. I am not a confused man. I think clearly. I am a clear thinker. I need clear thinking today, Father, because of what you want me to do. I resist confusion in all its form. Well, see, I have to do the same thing. Whatever it is, if it is finance, I refuse poverty, Father, in the name of Jesus. I need this finance because I've got stuff to do. And it's just like, it, so is that enough said? You hear what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's not that you're trying to heap it upon yourself. It's that something strikes your spirit where you actually begin to live this life because of those who have need of the little bit that you might have. You know what I mean? And I'm just saying when that's something, when I don't know how to define it, when that something clicks over in your spirit, the stuff just begins to happen. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom. And even with that, we misunderstand. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that the Gentiles seek after. It says, shall be added unto you, right? Right? But even that, I used to think when I was first saying, you know, seek first the kingdom, I thought that meant, you know, go to church. That's because that's helping, you know, you need to seek. Well, your problem is you're not seeking the kingdom. You're not in church on Sunday. But really, in the Greek, it says, when it says seek first the kingdom, it says find out how the kingdom operates. If you find out how the kingdom operates, and if you'll find out that you are in right standing with God, then the outward produce of that will be that everything that you have need of will be given to you. That's a whole lot different. So we need to know how the kingdom operates. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. We're just laying a foundation for this stuff here. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to start in verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For what we preach, and oh, God help us with this too. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves merely as your servants or slaves for Jesus' sake. I was preaching to a bunch of pastors a while back in California, and uh, I wasn't trying to be clever, but I said, I'm concerned because, you know, what's happened with us, we're so busy preaching healing, preaching prosperity, preaching whatever, that we need to understand we're called to preach Christ. You see, what we've done is we began to preach the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus more than Jesus. And the problem with that is, is that the doctrines of Jesus work after you've preached Jesus. Oh, well, I'm not making myself very clear there. But anyhow, let's just lodge that one for a moment. We need to make sure we understand that by preaching faith, by preaching healing, by preaching finances, we're preaching Jesus. But we need to preach Jesus first so that 
the rest makes sense. Otherwise, without talking about the grace and the character of this man, you will receive that other stuff from a selfish angle. You hear me? It'll be about me. I need to understand faith because of me. I need to understand finances because of me. I need to understand healing because of me. But if you understand Jesus, then you realize I need to understand faith because of them. I need to understand healing because of them. I need to understand finance because of them. Oh, well. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your servants and slaves for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts so as to beam forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and the glory of God as it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ the Messiah. This is a huge mystery here, but listen to what he shares. However, we possess this precious treasure, and it is a precious treasure. The glory, remember kabod, the word is kabod, the weightiness of his presence. We possess, we possess. Christ in us. You know, ha, God help us understand that, really. God help us. However, we possess this precious treasure, the divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, so that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. That's why God loves to use people that confound the wisdom of the wise. I mean, you know, think of all the apostles. Every one of the apostles had a prison record. So I'm in good company. But listen as he goes through down here, because just as we finish this first hour about why we need to understand faith more. He said, uh, so Paul said, we possess this treasure, this precious treasure, the divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels. In other words, he's about to talk about what his experience is, that in the midst of the call that he has on his life, he recognized who he is in himself. Verse 8, I mean, we all identify with these, but listen to them from the Amplified. He said, we are hedged in and pressed on every side. We're troubled and oppressed in every way, but we're not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments, and we're perplexed and unable to find a way out at times, but we're not driven to despair. We're pursued and persecuted and hard-driven, but not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but never struck out and destroyed. Because we always carry about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered. But listen, we do that so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown forth by and in our bodies. For we who live are constantly experiencing being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be evidenced through our flesh which is liable to death. Verse 12. Thus, Death is actively at work in us and in you. But it is in order that our life may be actively at work in you. And then, but verse 13, the first word is yet. Everybody say yet. 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 In other words, in the midst of all of that, think of these guys, the days they lived. We think we have it tough. I mean, consider the fact that they were being hunted down and, and burned at stakes and put in logs and cut in two and crucified upside down. He said, yet... We have the same spirit of faith. Now, if he can have the spirit of faith through what he went through, then I'm submitting to you that so can you and I. And here we begin to see the picture of how we identify a spirit, how we identify a spirit of faith. Yet we have the same spirit of faith as he who had wrote, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. We too believe. Anybody else here believe? We too believe, and therefore we speak, assured that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us along with you into his presence. Hallelujah. I just want you to get the long-range understanding of this. You will be lifted up into his presence. So don't sweat the small stuff. Verse 15, for all these things are taking place for your sake, so that the more grace 
extends to more and more people and multiplies through the many, the more thanksgiving may increase and redound to the glory of God. Now, you've got to hear me right there. I don't have time. I've got three minutes. Everything that happens to you, if you will nevertheless retain the spirit of faith and speak what you believe outside of what's happening, that will begin to redound for the good of the many who will begin to give thanksgiving to God because of the strength they see in your life. You've got to hear me, what we're saying about this. What you live is about other people. It's not about you. Therefore, verse 16 and 17 and 18, I've got to read them quickly, but I love it. Because we know this. Everybody say, I know this. I know, this. I know that most of you just lied, but I want you to say it anyhow. <laughs> I know this. Therefore, we do not become discouraged. That's every one of you, right? Right? Therefore, because we know these things, we saw what all that other stuff was there for. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless or exhausted and wearied out through fear, which is a whole other topic. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. Verse 17, for our light momentary affliction. Boy, you got to see what his light, what he called light. For our light momentary affliction, listen to this, this slight distress of the passing hour, <laughs> listen, listen to what it does in a man who understands faith. For, this, for our light momentary affliction, the slight distress of the passing hour is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations, a vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease, since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal, brief, and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Many keys right here we're going to study over the next couple of days.